Writing would help. If she could have just a few more minutes by herself to write it all down. If she could put it into words not only exactly what had happened, but also just how she felt about it, perhaps it would all become clear in her mind. Writing had worked that way for her before. Writing a tantrum had taken the place of having one, and writing a confusion had sometimes cleared it up. A few moments later, seated at the jungle drum table under the pale, time-worn eyes of the fantastical figures painted on the treehouse's walls, she opened the green notebook and began. February 25th. It was terrible. I hated it. I hated them all. Oh, boof. Okay, who did she hate? <laughs> she hated her writing workshop, which don't blame you. <laughs> this brought back I mean, some traumatic writing workshop memories that we can talk about. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, do you think they all center aligned their work? Because <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, center oh, aligned? Man. There was, I was in like a 300 level poet. It might have even been in one of my 500 level um, poetry writing workshops. There was a girl who would always center a line maybe it was her, concrete poetry it it was yeah and our our professor would get so angry and like tell her every time not to do that oh my god that maybe, this is not maybe she didn't know how to use word no i think she thought that it looked i mean she her her poetry what looked like it should be in a hallmark card i was gonna say it was her goal to write uh, motivational posters and stuff yeah like that. i think so and, well, and then it she definitely, did it right. yeah. So Libby here has some uh, has some hatred for her her workshop cohorts there. <laughs> I know what it's like to be in a workshop. I have no idea what you're reading today, though. But yeah, I do have this experience. Well, why don't we? All right, let's. Why don't we start the, do start that theme music? And welcome to another episode of Are You There Pod. It's me, Jessica. And it's me, Crystal. <laughs> uh, yeah, Crystal Lane is here today filling in for Josh, who's taking a little hiatus. Josh will be back. Stop saying that he's quit and he'll never come back. I never, he's coming. I'm, tell, I'm telling the listeners. We miss you, Josh. There's rumors. They're not true. He'll be right back. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, w- he will be back. But until then, we've had... A very special guest. You, you. She's talked to us about the babysitter, about the babysitter part two, <laughs> about babysitter the horror three. queen that is Marlene. And today, <laughs> is this the first non-horror? Well, Marlene the horror queen was not horror. <laughs> well, I it mean, has I, horror in the damn title. But it was that was the whole. I point. know, I know. Yeah. I mean, other than Marlene existing as a character, the book was the horror. <laughs> But yeah. Yeah, but today we are reading uh, Libby on Wednesday by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. What a name, by the way. Uh, yeah, that was going to be my first comment was, do you think this is her real name or pin name? I think That's it's real. my first note. I think it's real because she was born in 1927. Oh. Oh, whoa. I think it explains a lot about this book, too, maybe. Just mm. that that is. Yeah. So this book was published in. 
1990. Oh, really? And so she was, what, 63? Am I doing my uh, math right? Whoa. Thank you for doing that. Um, I didn't do the research because I was like, Jessica's going to do the research. Yeah, she always does. And it'll be fun to find out. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it is kind of fun to talk about it and, and surprise this, people. I'm looking at her book that she has, which looks like an ex-library book. It looks like a book from the 70s. <laughs> yeah, it's so my copy is my oh. is my copy. OK, from. Oh, from 1990. Yeah, it is 1990. Yeah. She's showing me the copyright. Does page. yours look different, Jess? It's or? the same. It's, it's it, just like library has, bound. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And what's cute Wait. is it had the library card in it. I don't think very many people had checked it out. Uh, yeah, Wait, stamped. mine also has a um, library card. Let me show you. It is from the Crystal Lane Library. <laughs> what? Um, what is... I used to, in my own, uh, in my own private collection. We're going to talk about a lot of collections oh, in this boy. book. In my own private collection, you can see I would create a library card, mm-hmm. and I had some kind of a stamp. Um, we'll have to post a, a picture online. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I would stamp it. That's I don't funny. think anyone actually checked this out. I probably just, you know, <laughs> pretended. There's no stamps on there. But it makes you wonder, like, did she write it way before 1990? I don't know. It feels, this book has such a weird vibe to it. And also the things that the characters are into to seem yes. like things that kids in the 90s would not be into. Yes. Well, I mean, well, ha- I, at least so many, like, there are two girls who are obsessed with, like, is it 20s culture? The 30s. Are they flappers? Obsessed with the 30s. 30s? So depression? So that would have been, she would have been a teenager in the 30s. That tracks. We see this over and over again with your older writers. Wait, She was born in 27, so she would have been 13 at the end of it, right? Yeah. But still. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, when I was 12, that's when I first discovered, like, the alt-rock stuff I still love, you know? (laughs) Right. I mean, I guess. Well. Wizard of Oz resonated with her. Like, yeah, that was her. Like Pulp Fiction did that was, for me. Yeah, I don't know. that was her fight club. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently the great market crash, because there is a point in the, vid- in, the, in the video, in the book, where, you know, the girls are talking about all the cool things of the 30s. And one of them is like the great market crash when people were jumping out of buildings. Hey, and I was like, that was Yikes. 1929, idiot. <laughs> Thanks, Blake. Um, okay. I did create straight, Jack. a list. I created a list of Zilpha's fave things in life. Would okay. you like to hear the list? Sure. And then we'll come back to her. Zilpha her is a bio. flapper name 1,000% oh, totally. by It's like way. a Zelda. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what makes me think it's not real. <laughs> yeah. I think well, it is real. I think, yeah. I think it's real. I think she definitely is from California, is going to be my uh-huh. guess. Sure. Oh, but, yeah. And I think this book was like her book of like, I'm just going to put all of my favorite things in one book. And my list of Zilpha's favorite things in life are purebred cats, mm-hmm. poets, mm-hmm. the 30s, mm-hmm. uh, tree houses, mm-hmm. yeah. Victorian towers, writing, and gazebos. This all tracks, yeah. I like tree houses. That's the only one on that list that I like. Wait till you hear about this tree house. It's insane. So Zilpha is a Taurus queen. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. She's a what? Taurus. Oh, Mm -hmm. Taurus in the house. Uh uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, Taurus trouble. She is a native, I think, California, and she... uh, 
this book is set like in a suburb outside San Francisco because there's a scene where they go to San Francisco. But um, she died at the age of 87 in San Francisco. Um, between 64 and 2011, she published 46 books. Uh, most famous, I guess, was the Stanley Family series, which I've never read. Um, a book called The Headless Cupid, published in 71, was a Newbery Honor book. Oh, she was a public school teacher in Berkeley, California, before she was a published author. The Witches of Worm, another book she wrote in 73, was a finalist for a National Book Award and a Newbery Honor book. So it looks like she got a lot of like honors, but never won anything for her writing. Right. Yeah. Um, another weird thing is that she helped design an early computer game. What? Called Below Whoa. the Root. Yes. It Wait, was what was it called? I'm sorry. Below the Root. R-O-O-T. Or Whoa. Root. Is, root. It, root. is it about a root. tree when did that has happen? a tree house in it? <laughs> well, it is. Here's the thing. It is actually based on the first book of Snyder's and the Green Sky trilogy and she considers it a sequel to the books and that it should be canon because what happened <laughs> was because of certain plot elements she realized she had made a mistake because she was flooded with email around with email with mail from adults and children and so the game was to redeem and advance the plot and correct the mistakes that she had made so yeah and she said it's canon so for those of you who have read the green sky trilogy check out the gotta play this computer game the root game is it like a text-based adventure okay wait we'll get to that so it came out in 1984 oh man yeah so so it's like it's like king's quest level graphics right maybe even yeah yeah um so it was the this company who released it was wyndham classics they were a sub Division of Spinnaker Software. I don't know any of these things, but Wyndham only published games that were based on books, basically. So they had games based on Swiss Family Robinson, Wizard (laughs) of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, Treasure Island, and then uh, Snyder's book. And this game is an early example of what is called a Metroidvania game. Are you kidding me? No. Metroidvania is, well, you know the games Metroid and Castlevania. It's a side-scroller that combines elements of those two games. You Mm -hmm. run around finding items. Mm -hmm. Yes, so I will read to you the definition. It features a large interconnected world map the player can explore, um, though access to parts of the world is often limited by doors or other obstacles that can only be passed once the player has acquired special items, tools, weapons, abilities, or knowledge in the game. It's a portmanteau of Metroid and Castlevania. (laughs) Thank you. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, so many layers to Zilpha. I know. Wow. So, yeah, that was an early... And also, I think Metroidvania is a cool band name. So, you're welcome, <laughs> future. There has, there's got to be, like, more than one metal band called that already. I don't know. I'd never heard that if you're, term If before. you're in the video game community, people throw, throw that term around a lot. That's why I, <laughs> yes. I had it at the tip of my tongue, like a dork. Yes. So, that is... What I have about uh, Zilpha. So I just thought the computer game thing was cool. Um, you can look it up on Wikipedia and see like a screenshot. And I will put that in Instagram. So you can see oh, kind of what, the, what the video like. game looked like. So Can't wait. Yeah, pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> Thanks for doing the good research. You're welcome. Did you talk about why we picked this book? Well, I picked it because Crystal sent me a uh, shot of some books she had. And I don't. 
I don't want to make like our guests go out of their way to acquire a book. Yeah. And so I looked at them and I was like, oh, Libby on Wednesday. Like, I remember reading that. Let's do that one since you already have it and I can get it fairly cheaply. Oh, so you both read it as a kid. Mm-hmm. I think this I think I remember buying this at a book fair. Ooh, I probably did, too. And I think it's cool to do this one right now because it's the beginning of a new school year. Mm hmm. For a lot of kids, mm-hmm. and this is about going back to school. It is. So, you ready to dive in? Please. I mean, whenever you are. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Libby lives this idyllic life that I wished I had, where she is <laughs> basically raised by a family of artistic and creative and caring adults, right? So she has her grandmother and her great aunt um, are there to take care of her. Her father, Christopher, is a poet. Um, there's a character named Elliot who I wrote live in pal <laughs> slash bookstore oh, owner. Do you the think man who came to dinner? The man who came to dinner and never left. Do you think there's something maybe there with uh, Elliot and Christopher? Oh, I did so much Elliot research. I went back and read stuff about Elliot. He is definitely Christopher's partner. I mean, it's very obvious he's yes. Christopher's partner. I think so too. But it's not something like there's even the part where she's like, How do I explain this person to my friends? Right. Yeah. Um, and her mother is not present because her mother uh is actually her name's Mercedes O'Brien. All these people have amazing <laughs> names, by the way. Oh, my gosh. I made a comment about this that, like, Libby is – every character in the book has a weird name except Libby. Like, even the cats. The cats are, like, Goliath and Ariel. Mm-hmm, and then yeah. there's just Libby. <laughs> yeah. I guess Gary Green's not that creative, but yeah, – Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they almost sound like like they should be at Hogwarts, some of these characters <laughs> with their names, right? <laughs> Tierney yes. Laurent? Oh, yeah. Tierney. Totally. Yeah. Although that's a cool name. name. I mean, it I was like, cool dang, that's a cool name. Tierney. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, her mom is a Broadway actress and is never home. And in fact, just kind of corresponds with her daughter via letters. So Libby lives this kind of charmed, isolated existence where she's never had to be part of the real world and lives in this beautiful crumbling mansion <laughs> that her grandfather purchased. Her grandfather has passed away. But he was a, I would say, a famous author. Maybe Mm -hmm. not so good with money. Yeah. Uh, Maybe didn't leave a lot of money for the family. But they have, like, this reputation in the town um, with her grandfather. And just kind of being known as, like, the artsy people, I guess, maybe. Um, Right. The McCalls. Yes. They're Yes. Yeah. They're the they're the artists. They're the writers. Yeah. They're the weirdos. Yeah. So basically, I think the first words in this book is Libby announcing that she is not going back to school. Right. Not doing it. I'm socialized. I'm not doing it. So what we have is Libby is homeschooled. She was homeschooled from uh, the I guess after the first day of kindergarten, she came home and was like, I don't want to do this. I mean, she was already I think they say she was already reading like the New Yorker or New York Times or something as a kindergartner, yeah. like just yeah. very advanced, didn't want to spend her time doing finger painting and, and you know, learning the alphabet. And her parents right. and caretakers were like, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, she even commented that there wasn't any good reading material in the classroom yes. in kindergarten. So. <laughs> uh, I've read all the blocks. And I've... 
Need something new. Yeah. So they called this, uh, they just kind of jokingly called it the Libby McCall Private Academy. But her mother eventually decides that Libby needs socialization and insists that she goes to school. And so she is placed in Morrison Middle School because she is advanced. I think she's younger than people in her yeah. grade. And she's much smaller and gets picked on a lot because she is younger and smaller. And Well, and I think that's one of the the big problems in this book is that she's 11 and, you know, the purpose of putting her in school is more so for socialization. And they put her in middle school at 11, which is just so painful that it hurts me to even imagine it. I mean, middle school was hell if you're the appropriate age. Mm-hmm. So I can't yes. imagine being a couple years younger than everyone else, you know. Yes. And plus you come from like you have a famous family name in this community. You're a McCall. Um, so you already got that attention on you as well. Uh, so she, they want to know why. And there is a reason. The reason is because, well, she hates it. Number one, she gets picked on all the time. She especially hates it because of a kid named Gary Green, who was very, very, uh, like the school bully, always picking on Mm -hmm. everybody. But, uh, the main reason is because there was a writing contest that was judged by Arnold Axminster. What a fucking name. <laughs> Once again, an amazing name. Yes. I guess if your name is Zilpha, you come up with amazing <laughs> character that's, names. I mean, that's right? why. I, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he there was a literary festival at the school. She submitted some writing. I don't know if all the kids were required to. Maybe it was that kind of thing because she seems like not the type to want attention on her. So I don't know why she would submit something unless maybe she was forced to. But they had to. Right. Um, And she entered her story called Rainbow in the Dust and ends up winning the first prize. And part of the winnings is a private meeting with Mr. Axminster, which to me sounds kind of creepy in today's world yeah like a private meeting <laughs> yeah. with an old dude author when you're in junior high right that doesn't when you're 11 like yeah not normal. that'd be like having a private meeting with rl stein and you're 11 <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> weird it's weird um, at least you're his target audience true um so uh he in their private meeting he is going to talk about writing and give them advice on their careers and immediately her family is like but what that man do because they get the same vibes like this should not be a a thing um they're no dummies yeah but uh she says oh nothing nothing but we have to have a writer's workshop because axminster suggested it and that means i'm gonna have to be in this group with gary green the bully and with a girl who has pink hair yeah yeah She's a punk. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Elliot knows what a punk is, so he's able to explain it. Yes. But yes. it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think she calls her fat all the time, too, which. Oh. Yeah. There's there's a, there's always references to her being, like, big and clunky and oafish, almost, I would say. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. The punk? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And she does not want to do this writer's workshop. She does not like these people. And her family just doesn't understand. And she throws a big fit (laughs) and goes to her treehouse, which is like her sanctuary. So I want to talk about this effing treehouse. Oh, man. So I can't wait. The treehouse was designed by her father. Not designed by. It was her father's treehouse from when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. Her father's name is Christopher. So I'll reference him here. But 
It says treehouse, Christopher's treehouse, as the family still called it, was as large and strange, as overdone, as Julian always said, as everything else that Graham built. The ornate iron staircase ended at a platform that surrounded the lower level, and from there, the multi-level structure climbed up the forking limbs in a jigsaw puzzle of angles, L's, and projections. Its exterior covered with a crazy quilt of rough-hewn shingles and decorated with oddly-shaped panels and shutters. But, I mean, that's one description. It's multi-level, and I think there's, like, a turret. Like, look at this this treehouse, Blake. I mean... okay. It's amazing. It looks like a mansion in a tree. Well, one of my, like, I mean, just something so vivid from my childhood is that I was obsessed with wanting a treehouse. I was too, and I think it comes from this book. Yes, and I would put a treehouse with a tower in, like, all the stories I wrote, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, it was from this book. Yes, I was obsessed with treehouses too, and I never had one. I remember the closest we got were there were neighbors... When I lived with my aunt Sheila, and it was basically just a platform in a tree. Yes, let me oh, t- yeah. let me tell you about our tree houses. That was about I. I tried to nail. I couldn't have been older than ten. I, I for some reason my parents let me have two by fours, hammer and nails. <laughs> when, we lived in rural ass Nixa. Uh, went to the nearest tree, started hammering things in all like willy nilly. Mm-hmm. Even got my dad to help, and still with his help, the best we ever got was some platforms on a branch uh-huh. that you could kind of sit on. Yes. None of this multi-level. Oh, no. What tree I mean, could support this? This sounds like a mini. I mean, it sounds pe- like a mini house that you know people are building now, like the tiny houses. People know how to yeah. do it if you're a pro. I mean, but. the tree house, it, every time the tree house is in the story when she mentions it it is treehouse with the capital t yes and even like um there's a couple references she makes to the way she would get into the treehouse um and even that is pretty wild like there was one way she would get into the treehouse that was by a forbidden and dangerous route where she would like i don't know have to climb a jump across um you know, mm-hmm. onto a bigger limb, or she could, you know, go up the curving wrought iron staircase that circled oh the oak tree's trunk. It's on the cover. So this this oak tree's got to be like three hundred years old. I mean, it's got to be huge to support. Yeah. And by the way, this treehouse is so big it can house the whole writing workshop at some point. <laughs> a yeah. wrought iron spiral staircase. Mm-hmm. Nobody has that. Hey, I mean, it's Zilpha's world. We're all just. Living in maybe it. <laughs> maybe one percenters have that. Maybe. Oh wait, I found some stuff about the tree. Mm. Um, just beyond the balcony, growing up to tower even above the rooftops of the three-story McCall house, was the great oak, the ancient tree that had been there already tall and stately when Graham bought the land to build his castle. So yeah, that tree's like. Do oak trees years get that effing big? They're big. I mean, it depends on the oak. We'll have to do some research <laughs> about different kinds of oaks. We have oaks them. in California. Okay. Um, can anyone, if we have any oak experts in our listenership, can they write in she to the pod? Just, she should just made it a redwood. We had them in my yard. They were when they're full size. They were taller than our house easily. Yeah. But do you think they could support a treehouse of this magnitude? If they're big enough, and if you're skilled enough at building it, that's you have to use like architectural 
principles to make it support so, itself. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't even build a platform. So there's no <laughs> way that I could do this. But, yeah. So I she, mean, can we not, like, I'm just acknowledging this now, but I'm pretty sure the treehouse also explains a lot about how Christopher ended up being the very obviously sensitive poet that he is who, you know, writes his poetry in a gazebo and uses multiple pens and notebooks and cannot be disturbed while he's writing his poetry. I'm pretty sure the treehouse probably influenced that, right? Like a fortress of solitude, because that's where Libby goes to write, too. It's just Mm -hmm. like where she can go and recharge and emote and uh, get away from her family because no one really goes there. It's just her own little... Her own little private world, um, which is why it's kind of amazing that she lets the workshop meet there. But I feel like she's forced to through socialization. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so fucking socialization. Yeah, I wrote treehouse equals sanctuary, um, and this is she. She writes. She has all these different journals, and she goes in there and writes about how much she hates school. Because she is younger and smaller, and how she hates Gary Green because he is always teasing her. Um, and then she tells that she writes the truth about Morrison Middle School. So let me see real quick. Okay, this is when she says, I really wanted to tell her the truth, her mother, whenever she writes. Um, I really wanted to tell her that I wasn't doing anything easily and well at Morrison Middle School and that all it was doing was making me miserable and that I wish she could be the one to be imitated and made fun of every day if she thinks that's what it takes to be socialized. But I didn't, of course. All I did was agree with her and say how much fun I was having and how glad I was she talked them into sending me to school. It was really ironic. What 11-year-old writes like this, by the way? I and she uses she used ironic like before this is pre Alanis. Yeah. <laughs> right. When we still knew what it meant. <laughs> Isn't it kind of painful though? Like why is it that I feel like that's a thing, you know, when you're that age or when you're in middle school that like just kind of that twisting around instead of just telling her the adults in her life what's really going on like why does she feel the need to to act like everything's okay when she's being bullied at school you don't want your parents to think that you're the loser or the dork and that's what happens i think you know yeah my mom found out about bullying like way later uh there's a lot of shame involved you don't want to admit to that yeah it's it's shameful um Anyway, her plan is to basically stick it out for a year and then be like, I'm socialized. Bye. (laughs) And that's why she is going to fake it to them and make it seem Mm. like everything is fine. Because if not, she'll have to be going to school and being socialized forever. But if she can prove to them that she's socialized, then she can maybe do homeschooling again. Um, So at one point she says... um she simply needed some extra time to shake off the middle school Libby McCall and get back to the person she used to be. And oh my gosh, that just like stabbed me in the heart. And I'm like, that this this little person is like, I can do this. I can go like be a fake me every day for a year. Yeah. And come home and be the real me you know, in my treehouse. I feel like that's everyone, like, all the time. Like, I have to yeah. put on my own stupid little, yeah, I'm happy. I, I love work. I'm such a happy person. And then when I get off, I'm just like, God, I'm so exhausted from 
Same. <laughs> like from uh, I, having to live in this world that I didn't create. I didn't create fucking, you know, credit scores and whatever bullshit was created that we have to live by that dictates everything we fucking do, which isn't even real anyway. But right. I have to live with it and be a part of it and pretend, you know, that I am fine when every day I'm like seething because I'm like, we are literally living through an extinction event and I have to go to work and write my little emails. This is so stupid. My stupid little emails. <laughs> That's what I do mostly. Yeah. So cool. Cool. Um, so the first writer's workshop, they come up with a name and it is kind of a dumb name. Oh, I can't right? wait. So <laughs> it is the Future Famous Writers. Oh, man. Or FFW. Um, uh. I believe that was suggested by uh, Wendy, right? The Wendy's kind of the preppy Pre- yeah, I think she's student council president, mm-hmm. right? I wrote Miss Popular. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Every every story, everything Wendy writes talks about what people are wearing and who they're dating. I think those are important things, though. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> I need to know what people are wearing. Gotta keep up with the goss. Yeah. Uh, so this, uh, there is an adult there to lead the group, and it's Mrs. Ostrowski or Mizzo, as they call Mizzo. her. Mizzo. And she explains the rules, and the big rule is that there is they must have constructive criticism. It can't just be like your books, mm. your your story sucked. I hated it. And they try to give examples, and everyone starts arguing, and then they have a vote on whether they should read their work out loud or if they should read it or you know take home copies and read it. So they all decide to Reading read it out, out loud, loud oh, in really? class. Yes. That's and torture. one of the reasons everyone voted for it, I think, except for Libby. And the reason, well, she mm-hmm. she's shy, you know. But Alex is who is a person she meets that day, who was one of the winners at the workshop, he tells her that he can't write and that he didn't want to have to take home the writing and write comments on it and submit it to people. And we'll find out right. why later because she's very surprised by this. Um so I don't think do they actually read something at the first meeting? No, I think they just talk about what the um, process is going to be and, yeah, lay out what they're going to do and decide on a name and all that. Oh, OK. There was only about half hour left in the period when Ms. O called on the first workshop member to read and it was Gary Green. Oh, Okay. I don't know if Sorry. it really talks about his story, though, like it does about the others. And this is when Libby goes back home and seeks solace, like in her treehouse, and writes the the journal entry that you read um, about how she hated it and hated them all. Well, of course, on during the first, um, even the, the first meeting is painful already. I mean, really because of Gigi, because he makes fun of Libby and basically everyone in the room. Yeah, yeah, he does. Like, for like, example, Alex writes parodies, and his jokes are also stupid. He says, parity? What's that, parrot language? Oh, my God. You write in parrot language? Like, Polly want a cracker? Anyway, it's stupid. Uh, like, this this it, parody writer sounds great. Alex, he wrote a uh, spoof a spoof on Cujo. A sp- okay. <laughs> and I think the dog was actually like a tiny chihuahua that was terrorizing a family or something. Do you remember? <laughs> I mean, he, yes. Yeah. I love I love Alex from the first moment we see him. Yeah, he, because the first 
the first moment we see him is he came out of the cupboard in awkward angles, like an unfolding wooden puppet. And it wasn't until he finally untangled himself and turned to face her that she recognized him as the winner of the second prize. Like, what an entrance. Yeah, yeah. And we find out that he was hiding from Gary Green. That's why he yeah. was in the in the cupboard. He didn't want he wanted more people to be in there before he came out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Who he refers to him as Gary the Ghoul, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, and so she writes. Libby's kind of mean. She writes this limerick about the future uh, famous writers. And so let me read a little bit of this limerick here. And this is when we get into the tyranny body shaming shit that Libby does. Anyway. The FFW, there's Tierney, who's big, fat, and mean, and Alex, the strangest mm. I've seen. And then there is Gary, who's cruel, dumb, and scary, and Wendy, who thinks she's a queen. Mm. And then she just writes these long descriptions of each person. And, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, she talks about, like, Gary Green. Um, she thinks his reincarnation is someone horrible, like Hitler, maybe, is how <laughs> she describes him. Uh, Tierney, she says that she's taller than Mizzo and a lot fatter. And almost as mean as Gary and is angry all the time. But what's interesting is after she writes all these disparaging things about each member of the FFW, then her journal entry ends with, I'm sure it will be terrible, horrible, unbearable. Next time when I'll have to read for sure. But this time... This time, it wasn't so bad after all. Mm-hmm. I think this is, might be after the second meeting because she's talking about everyone's stories, right? Um, I don't know. It's kind of... No, because that was... Uh, this is on page 54. Yeah, it's kind of confusing because she knows what all their... Maybe it's because they talked about what their stories were about that uh-huh. that won the prizes. And so, like, Alex won for the Cujo parody and I guess Wendy won for her, like, teen dramedy whatever and right alex writes uh not alex uh gary writes like sci-fi e kind of stories and tierney writes detective uh right hard-boiled detective novels like she's a 13 year old reading like <laughs> raymond chandler or some shit okay <laughs> kids have genres <laughs> yeah so uh oh she didn't have to read um but anyway so, but I just think it's interesting that after she goes through and dissects everyone, yeah, then she goes back and reads over, you know, what she said about everyone, and then it says she wrote in very large letters. So, and I think here she's realizing, oh, maybe these people are interesting. Maybe it's a little foreshadowing. Maybe. So, um, at their next meeting, uh, this is when. We hear Wendy's story, and Tierney is very mean. Um, mm-hmm. They, uh, Mizzo calls on her first. So this was a teen story. It was called Robin and Pink, <laughs> and I think the story is something about like her great her grandmother gives her this pink dress to wear to a dance, but it's ugly, and she doesn't want to wear it. But then her grandma gets sick, so she wears it, and her boyfriend thinks it's beautiful, and so everything yeah. works out in the end. Um, yes, Oscar, honey, you can't oh. get up there. Hold on, our cat is Can trying to. Can you see to him like, on there? He's trying to climb up on the desk. We have to stop. Hi, him. Oscar. Um, but Tierney says I've got a lot of constructive comments. Like Gigi said, the length was good, and I like the pink cover a lot. She did give it to them in like a pink cover. Whatever. And the way it had a title and characters and a beginning and an end, I particularly like the way 
it had a beginning and an end. I it was just all the stuff in between that was dumb. So not constructive. But how many mm-hmm. how many writing workshops have you been in where there is that mean kid? Yeah. That mean kid. And then okay, so I, think I had I one. Am. I had two who were the biggest assholes in the world. The world. And mm-hmm. uh one of them all semester he did not submit anything. And we're like he has not read one thing. Like Everyone else has submitted their three stories and had them workshopped or whatever. So he finally turns his in. It's like the second to last week of school. So everyone's getting ready for their finals and final papers. And so he turns in his story and it's a 60 page zombie story. No. Crystal, I am not kidding. I'm not kidding. And expected everyone to read it and workshop it at the end of the semester. I am pissed that the professor let that happen. That shouldn't have been allowed. Why would the instructor allow it? Because it was bullshit and he's an idiot. Well, yeah. He should know better, though. He's the head of the department. He was the worst. Was this student a, you know, like one of Blaine's pets? I don't think so. (laughs) It was a zombie story. I don't. Makes no sense. Did he have any pets? He's such a weirdo. Well, that that sounds like a fucking horror story. Your um, experience in that. By the way, this kid was mean to everyone, just belittling. And so we all got that story and you bet your fucking ass. (laughs) Did everybody tear into it? Oh, we did. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. We did. Very constructive Uh criticism. Very. I was like, I was like, oh, how original. A zombie story. Like that was my that first hurt. That thing would hurt. because he was always saying shit like that to people like, oh, how original a detective story or whatever, you know, and wow, like, the yeah. mystery genre. You haven't turned in one fucking thing and then you turn in a zombie apocalypse story. I hope he's listening. He's not. Yeah, fuck him. But I found out later that he this kid and maybe this is why I let him get away with it. I guess his parents wrote some like he's rich, I think, and his parents wrote some kind of uh, book. I, I can't remember. Mm. But it was they they would come into Barnes and Noble and they were assholes just like their kid. Like I hated But them. his par- his parents wrote a book like together. I guess even that sounds strange. I'll, I'll I look, mean I here, I'm gonna say his name. It was Did you ever meet him? He was like a like, really I weird know the, I know the name, but now it's been I have to admit to myself now, like, oh, it's been so long that I can't I don't even want to admit that it's been like 15 years, but it has. Yeah, Yeah. I can't put a face to the name. His face haunts my dreams because of his Mm. fucking zombie story. Blake can beep out his name, but he was the worst. And then the second, because you could take 500 twice, which I did. Oh, right. Um, And so I had another workshop the following semester, and there was, not only was Rob back, but he had a little asshole friend who was in the workshop. Oh, no. A protege. Yeah. This guy was also the worst, and I think he's an adjunct professor at MSU now. No, of yeah. course he is. Because I think of when course. I was, yeah, I think when I was walking through the halls when I was going to grad school, I saw, like, his little office, and I was like, son of a bitch, this asshole. <laughs> Do you anyway, remember his name? I don't, but you know what? Let's, I have old, old um, stories. I bet I could find them. And, oh, and I think I was even in that class with Matt Dampier or Dampier or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he was oh always like God. really nice to me. And I wrote a story once and this kid, whenever it was, whenever I read, because you read like a section of it. Yeah. And then everyone starts the criticism. And so I read a section of it and this kid, the first thing he said was like, what are you, Judy Bloom 2006? And Shut it, up. I don't know. It was what? 
Yeah, it was the way he delivered it, and it right. really, really hurt. And I remember leaving the class and crying because he's made it sound like it was the worst thing ever. It and then like I was thinking to myself, thing. and I was like, no. wait, Judy Bloom, fuck. Judy Bloom, one of the uh, most beloved being and Judy successful Bloom, authors. Judy Bloom, 2006 is like a fucking compliment. It, 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 Hello. Yeah, like, but it was the way he delivered it, just like a pedantic yeah. man who thinks that writing about like a teenage character or anything like that is stupid. Focusing on a teenage girl, you know, the, our concerns are stupid. You know, and he's yeah. just so belittling. Like writing workshops are traumatic as fuck. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And Blaine would not regulate it at all and yeah. would let oh. children just take out children, would let children, college kids yeah. just take out personal vendettas against each other. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it was it was the worst experience. Like, I would not recommend ever taking a class with that guy. I hope he's retired. And I don't care for Surely his wife's photography. He, he was about 90 when I took him. I thought he was 90 then. <laughs> like... And you know what? I don't like his wife's photography. Oh, I, I'm going to have to remove so yeah, much. Why remove was, that. Now that I think about it, I'm like every every writing workshop at MSU at that time was um, every upper level writing workshop. The instructor was a white man. Yeah. So that was a really great time mm -hmm. to be. Oh, it probably you still know, is, Crystal. Like a creative I creative writing student. I I think they probably are still white men. I'm I'm not kidding. Um Yeah, I I don't think I had a non-white man for one of those classes. I had a white woman briefly, I think from my first writing class, like the 200 level or whatever. Yeah, I did too. Mm -hmm. But I was saying at the 500 level. Yes. Yes. It's it was right? all men. Yeah. So and also once again, those classes are mainly full of men, by the way. Yeah. White men. And so they, trying to perpetuate the idea that what white men write about is what is important. Yes. And then everything else, if a woman writes about a woman, it's automatically chiclet or YA bullshit that it, I just hated that class. And, and yeah. And also they would talk over you like every white male and they were just the worst. Like I hated those classes. I just remember being so stressed out whenever I would have to read and it was not constructive at all. So, I because don't know. guess what? People care about fits and who's dating who. So, yeah. So, if fuck you up. think we shouldn't put that in stories, then middle fingers up. <laughs> hey, you know who's a famous writer that makes lots of money? R.L. Stein, fucker. <laughs> like, and he's got some good fits. I mean,. <laughs> Some I just questionable ones sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember why. I just it was just hurt. It's just hurtful when someone is so disdainful about anything related to women, I guess. And that mm -hmm. was the hurt that I was um, internalizing. It wasn't necessarily he called me Judy Bloom 2006. It was the fact that he was so dismissive of someone that is so beloved to a lot of young girls. Um, yes. And also just, you know, the concerns of women are just not worth my time to read. And right. I, I will shit on this because that's what it's about. I'm going to write a story about dinosaurs fucking, which is what he did. So what? Jesus. really? Yeah. And, and then that the, that the instructor of the class does nothing, nothing. You buried the lead on this. There was a story about dinosaurs <laughs> having sex. It was horrible. Yeah. It was very pretentious. And uh, what you would expect a guy like him to write. Was it honestly? Like it was like it was probably like a. He probably was a big fan of George Saunders because I I remember it having a a Saunders vibe, right? Like this very uh, kind of strange well, style good. of writing. Yes, no, Saunders is good, <laughs> but Saunders also writes weird shit. I am aware. 
But was it like the sitcom show dinosaurs with no, the puppets? No, no, I can't even describe it. I just remember there was a dinosaur fucking scene. It doesn't oh matter. Oh my god, it was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that guy. Yeah. And you know what? We future plans. Future plans. We will make a Judy Bloom up to the the Judy Bloom 2006 Writers Workshop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we will write whatever the fuck we, we want. We will all write wifey-inspired yeah. stories. Also, it was a very uh, personal story because it was about me dealing with finding out that my mom had an abortion between mm-hmm. me and my sister. And it was me writing that out like Libby does. Mm. Which is which is incredible. Like, what a story. Mm-hmm. Like, that's real shit. That yeah. real people yeah. are affected by dinos having sex. <laughs> I mean, maybe there's a time and place for that, but maybe. Right. Ugh. It was. Yeah. He was just a dick. So I don't. I don't mind making disparaging comments about him, and I feel like women should no. do that more about male writers. So I'll have to cut out a lot of names and and go in there and edit. But uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Well, one final comment is just I. I'm sorry that you were not supported in your writing workshop. And I would just like to remind you that I have always loved your writing Mm. and I think it is important and it has a place in the world and I can't wait to read more of it. Thank you. She's good. And I think we, I think we'd have a case suing some of these idiots for loss of in like lifetime loss of income maybe <laughs> because of their dis- disparaging remarks. I think we may have a lawsuit here. Okay. Yes, uh, lawsuit and now we have our um like our plans for our 40s are going to be to get our Judy Bloom 2006 writing workshop going. Yeah. I want to do gonna, Hubby, a book called Hubby. I'm already planning it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Blake is starting he's going to do the adult Judy Bloom. He's going to write okay. hubby. Yeah, so, yeah. From the hubby's perspective. I, I'm just a big piece <laughs> of shit. He's just going to write about Norm, the most boring the man on the who, planet. Who, who can't fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, mean comments in the workshop. Libby reads her story, Rainbow in the Dust, that one first plays. And it's really good. The kids are all impressed. But then Gary Green suggests that her grandpa wrote it for her. What? Mm-hmm. Ooh, which is painful. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, a woman can't write anything good. There's that's no why I, I never got that comment in writing workshops. Well, was your dad, was your grandpa a famous writer or was your dad a oh, poet? Okay. I forget that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So stupid though. Yeah. Um, and this leads to a conversation about Libby's home and how everyone there wants to see it. I guess it's just this looming, you know, decaying Victorian style like mansion. The right. Andrews. Yeah. House. Yeah. And it's like the house that, you know, everyone in town knows this house. Yes. And before they leave class, Wendy tells Libby that her story was outrageously awesome, which is something that Libby is very proud of and goes home and repeats whenever she is uh, talking about her day to her family. Like, you can tell that she is so happy that, you know, she repeats that phrase, like, a girl called it outrageously awesome. Like, you know, she's very excited about it. And Um, then she even, um, like, she whispers it to herself outrageously awesome yeah like she just yeah is like holding that holding that phrase in her heart like wow yeah so uh libby uh also she's afraid to ask if she can invite any of these students over to see the home because her father is very private how does she explain that her mom's not around how does she explain that elliot is there you know this man 
And yeah. Yeah. And she's also kind of embarrassed about the shabbiness of the front of the house. However, the backyard looks amazing because that's Christopher's dominion, right? Like he yeah. can go in the backyard. That's where the gazebo is. He can write. He does not want to go in the front where people can see him. Her father's very, very reclusive. So that is part of why the uh, house is kind of falling apart at the in the front. But in the back, it is, is beautiful because he's keeping it up there um, since that's where he is. So her grandmother says he certainly didn't get his retiring nature from his father or from me, but he's always been that way, quiet and shy, except around people he knows well. But sometimes I think it was our fault, Graham's and mine. When Christopher started to go to school, Graham's book set in Morrison had just come out. And as you know, not everyone was pleased. Some of the local residents accused him of spreading slander and gossip. And for a while, there was even talk of lawsuits. Nothing came of the suits. And of course, nowadays, no one cares about such things anymore. But... What that happened was that sent a small, sensitive boy to school in a town that has a grudge against his family was a dumb thing to do. So it it really affected her father. And that's why he kind of spends his his life hiding in the back of the house, like away right. from people. So it's it's kind of sad. Um, So at the next meeting, the uh, Mizzo forgets to finish the discussion of Libby's story, which Libby's kind of relieved about because she doesn't want... Gigi to be a jerk to her again. Instead, they talk about Tierney's story, which is a detective noir story right out of the movies. Um, Gigi and Tierney start yelling at each other about the level of killings, because I guess there are some like murders in her book, and she had criticized his sci-fi story for having too much death, and so right. it becomes like this, well, you said mine had too much death, but what about yours, you know, kind of thing. And um, Alex thinks that the detective story is so spot on that it's a parody, <laughs> you know, like he's like, it's a parody, right? Like he can't get past parodies. He's really got that in his he's, head. He's really on parodies. Yes. Um, Grew up to be weird Al. Yeah. <laughs> so Libby learns that Tierney is a collector and lover of things before w- World War II. It's her hobby. And it's also one of Libby's. Libby has all these collections that will... I'll tell you more about them when we get to it, but she's like Ariel from Little Mermaid. Kinda, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So Look at uh, this stuff. Sorry. Anyway, this is when Mizzo reveals that she herself is a closeted writer. She oh my <laughs> gosh, I loved this section. I wrote. Um, Teachers and their little lives. Yeah, yeah. She said that she's been working on a novel for two years now in secret, but doesn't want the staff to know until it's actually published. And she even has an agent that thinks it can be published. My favorite part, though, was that she says she didn't want the staff to know um, Mr. Shoemaker particularly. And I'm just like... You know, thinking about teachers and their little little lives, I'm like, ooh, who is Mr. Shoemaker? Is he like the other English teacher or something? And she's like competitive with him or, yeah, I, I just think, thought I it think was. I he's the principal. Oh. And I don't think she wants him to know because I don't think she wants to lose her job, maybe. Like if, I, I don't know why she doesn't want Mr. Shoemaker. It's her private time. Do what you want. <laughs> exactly. It's her, it's. Her little life, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't understand. Anyway. But also, can you imagine when you were in middle school, if you found out that your teacher was also a writer, you would be like, no, that does not compute. Because I, if it was an English teacher, I would that would make would sense make to sense, me. Yeah. But if they were, Maybe. what wouldn't compute is if they were a published writer, right? Yeah. Like yeah. if they had if they wrote like trashy romance novels or something like yeah. I'd be like, wait, you're really Danielle Steele? Like. I mean, I, obviously that's not. But. I I had a shitty uh, teacher who taught miscellaneous stuff like health and other garbage classes. 
who had been published in, I want to say it was a short piece in something like a chicken soup book. Oh, yeah. So one of those type of feel good piece of garbage. But so I, I did have a published writer teacher just, just saying, throwing that out there. Didn't like, didn't like him though. Good job for them. So, uh, (laughs) after the workshop, Tierney and Wendy try to invite themselves over and Libby says no. Um, and they have become more pleasant to each other at school, and they're even nicer to Libby, but they keep hinting on visiting her house. So whenever she's looking at Alex's work, she notices, this is kind of a funny thing, um, she notices that his writing looks so professional, and she mm-hmm. thought he couldn't write, and he's like, oh, it's my word processor. Uh, <laughs> you've got to get one. you got to get one of these <laughs> word processors. Um, and Libby's like, oh, that's too expensive for me. And that's when you find out that her fam- family does not have a lot of money. Like, right. it, it looks Graham like was it. Just, Graham didn't know how to deal with money. He yes. just spent it on things like tree houses yeah. that <laughs> look like miniature homes. Blew it yes. all on tree houses. Uh, Libby says he spends money faster than he made it. And his books don't sell very well now. And my dad is just a poor poet. So we cannot afford a word processor. In fact, she uses her old grandfather's typewriter, her grandfather's old typewriter to write. And Alex is amazed by that. Like, whoa, is that the typewriter that he wrote blah, blah, blah on? Like, and she's <laughs> right. like, probably. I don't know. I imagine it being like those gigantic LC Smith and Corona typewriters mm-hmm. that weigh like oh, 50 yeah. pounds or something. It's like bigger than her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like insane. For a moment, did you think that her that she had a little crush on Alex after this whole interaction? And then like how she wrote about him in her journal after this interaction? I, I don't know. What did she say? I can't remember. Um, she said, Alex Lockwood, she would write in her journal, is the most quick-witted person mm-hmm. I've ever met. Yeah. I don't know. I guess she's just surprised. I, I think that what it is is she's obviously judging people too quickly. Um, and then she's surprising herself by actually finding that there are good and redeemable traits about these people and that, and Alex, I think she's always impressed by how smart and well, quick witted, like you said, because he is so strange. Like he, you know, he walks kind of funny. There's something off about him. So they start this Island adventure writing project, which basically Mizzo has written the first part of a story. They all have to write the next part and then they vote on which one is the best and that's incorporated into the the story and then they keep going from there like each chapter they vote on whose is the best and they keep adding on to it um so uh wendy's new story tierney once again she pulls a judy bloom 2006 she suggests calling it the ghosts of sweet valley high <laughs> yes what? i loved that what? oh my gosh i love it the first chapter was full of creaking doors and ghostly glowing lights as well as quite a bit about what kind of clothes everybody was wearing <laughs> and what color their eyes and hair were and who they were in love with yeah this sounds like a good book <laughs> yes yeah this sounds like books I read all the time yeah, this, for this podcast. This sounds like the type of thing that would be hot now, like yes. Babysitter's Coven or something. Yeah. Oh, Babysitter's Coven. So good. Okay. So uh, this is when they realize that Gary Green, he's kind of been hiding his face from everyone. He's wearing like a hoodie and glasses. And he turns and that's when they see that his face is just, hold on. I actually saved the page on this one too. 
This is when he reveals his full face. Both of Gigi's lips were split and swollen, and there were bruises on his jaw and darker ones that spread down his cheeks from behind the dark glasses. While everyone was staring at him in horror, he shrugged his shoulders and made a laughing noise without moving his lips. Football game, he mumbled. Me and 200 pounds of high school hotshot collided. You should see the other guy. But everyone is kind of horrified, except for Tierney, who says she's grinning gleefully. Um... Tierney's kind of mean. Kind of mean. But I feel like she has a reason for it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so uh, when she gets home, she has a little visitor waiting for her. So this is when we find she likes to take the long way sometimes and walk and kind of peer into people's backyards and peer into their lives and uses Mm -hmm. it like in her writing. Yeah. Something that her father her grandfather did. Right. Since he wrote about people in the town. Right. Um, so yeah, I loved that. Uh, yeah, it's kind of Harriet the spy-y too, you know. So when she gets home, Alex is waiting for her outside the house. He said he took the bus and beat her home, and he thought that the surprise visit might help him get in. <laughs> <laughs> and he knows so much about her father's books, her grandfather's books, and her father's poetry. Like he is talking about them like in depth, and she's very surprised that he knows. Um, who uh like enough about like their body of work so she yeah. she lets him come in and she invites him to her, uh to Gillian and Cordelia her grandma and great aunt and offers to introduce him to her father but he's writing and what does Alex say to that oh my gosh he says oh no I couldn't interrupt a poet while he's writing that's one of the ten commandments isn't it <laughs> thou shalt not interrupt the writing of poetry yes wow. I mean I think I just love Alex's reverence for po- poets mm-hmm. um, she even she also commented that he seemed to be aware of other things about poets that you might not expect a Morrison middle school student to understand so overall I just maybe I have a crush on Alex is maybe. what maybe. we are coming to <laughs> I'm just very I'm very impressed uh-huh. by Alex as a you know Morrison middle school student, student. yeah and um and also, you're a poet, so you you know you respect that he respects the art and the yes. artist. You know, yes, yeah. It makes me smile and makes me happy and fills my heart. Exactly. So she takes Alex to the third floor and shows him all of her collections. So the third floor are the former like servants' quarters in this home, and she has turned each room into like a theme room where she displays the collections and she like alternates them out too. By the way, so there's right. there's a Greek Roman room. There is a British Empire room, a Pioneer room, <laughs> and a... Like, all these things, I'm like, she's 11. I know, I know. Like, why is there not, like, a dog breeds of the U.S. room or something? Like, where's the horse 11? room? Where's the pony where's room? The where's horse the room? horse room? <laughs> where is the Ace of Base room, where it's just yes. constantly playing Ace of Base, and the room is covered in posters. and big yet. Fine, new kids on the block room. Okay, now we're talking. Okay. <laughs> so um, anyway, she says she changes all of them out except for the 30s room. And he's just so impressed. And it's like, how did you get all this crap? And she's like, well, my grandfather would collect them on his travels. And, you know, I just, I display them. You know, this is like, I want to go. So um, this is when Alex, because she's like, why can't you write? You know, she just kind of straight up asks him, I think. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is when he tells her, I have cerebral palsy. Mm. And it's hard for me to write. Um, And he's actually one of the lucky ones. Like his his policy, I guess, is not as advanced as 
how some other people experience. You know, he can move and and get around easier than a lot of people can. Um, right. So, uh, but he he talks about like being degraded, and she's like, "No, I get it. I am too." Um, this is when he talks about it. So. He said, as soon as you start school, you find out who you really are in a hurry. You find out you're a clown, a dork, a nerd, a spaz, somebody who can be laughed at and pushed around and used for a punching bag. Then he grinned. And that's just when you're six. By the time you're eight, things really start getting unpleasant. And I put like a broken heart there. And it really like I had some kind of like flashbacks about middle school, just reading this, this section. And it made me feel like sometimes it's like hard for me to believe that I made it through middle school when I think back just at how painful it was because there's also stuff where like Libby talks a lot about how um, she refers so often to how she she doesn't have the figure for middle school Mm -hmm. or like at one point she even writes in her journal like I'm just not right physically for middle school because she's so small and like uh, the pain of just like how do we make how did we make it through how did we do it like we're all here alive somehow after going enduring I don't know enduring that I don't know Elliot tells me that there's a mean girl in her class no yeah so my no. little eight year old niece in third Not grade good. is I mean I was bullied almost all all throughout all levels of school <laughs> just the bullying kind of changed like it was really bad. I mean, because I when I was little, it was non-existent. But whenever uh, I was a little bit older and started gaining weight, like it got bad. And that does not help you. You spiral like if kids just call you fat all the time, like it's it's not helpful. You're not. Anyway, it's horrible. But uh, but when I was in high school, it was a little bit different. Instead, they were more like snide comments about like my appearance, not necessarily my weight, but like. Um, the clothes I wore, you know, how I was. A we got to stop saying this word on the podcast. <laughs> it was a word that was very common in the 90s and yeah, was thrown around as an insult to any kind of woman who was not feminine at all. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So anyway, it was it was a rough time if you were. It's always a rough time. But well, also, can I make a comment about how like. Throughout this entire book, Libby refers to there's so like I there's so many point places where she's like they all had figures. Um, I don't have a figure, and like we I think we know what you know what Zilpha is implying there. She like, got no a figure, right? She had no boobs, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I just like I just was thinking about that, and I was like. Wouldn't it be weird if a body didn't have a figure? Like, so what? Because you, because like, what? Why is only one body type considered having yeah, a figure yeah. in middle school? Like everyone else is just like non-corporeal. Like it just no. There's flat. Yeah. yeah. Two-dimensional. No figure. Yeah. It's, it's a it weird, was just old-fashioned very, way. Very strange to me. Yeah. It is kind of an old-fashioned way to talk about yeah, like, about ooh, bodies. Look at her yeah. figure. <laughs> va, 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 boom. Yeah. So, anyway, she writes about Alex and how she understands his humiliation in her own way. Because she is always teased at school for her size. They call her Mighty Mouse or Little Frankenstein. I don't what? understand that insult. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't really... 
yeah, make sense to me. Maybe yeah. it was a. Uh, I don't know. She wondered if she would ever be able to laugh about some of the humiliating things that had that had happened to her at Morrison Middle School. Yeah. So Do you think we can can we laugh about it now? No. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends upon the situation. Like anyway. I'm trying to find the story. And it's supposed to be in chapter twelve. Which story? Uh Gigi's next story. Oh. Well, I mean, first we get to hear about Tierney's next story, which is um, the girl in the story whose name was Jade, was 16 years old, but she lived all by herself <laughs> in a luxurious apartment and drove a silver Ferrari, mm-hmm. which I just fucking loved. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love the shit you write when you're young. Yeah. And <laughs> how you make characters live just like the fantastical life you want, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I want to live on my own and drive a Ferrari and have lots of money yeah. and do whatever I want. That'd be awesome. I just want a treehouse that's like <laughs> three stories tall. I want that, too. Um, so so but they get more stories. Tierney also has another story. It's called The Case of the Purple Parrot. And Libby is remarking to herself that, you know, everyone's writing is getting better. Like, this workshop is helping us, you know. Right. Um, but whenever Gigi, Gary, is called on to read, he reads this story called Eric He's because he he says he hasn't been really working on anything. And, and Mizzo's like, what about that story? I, I saw you writing, you know, last time. And so he reads a story called Eric and it is really foreboding and unsettling story. And he doesn't finish reading it, but it leaves everyone feeling very strange, like uh, a, a, like it's just a really kind of haunting story, I guess. But basically the story is about how there's this kid who's at home um, he gets home late and there's something he was supposed to do, but he didn't have time to do it because he got home late, but there's no one there. And so like he's taking care of himself, like he makes his own dinner, he watches TV and he keeps looking at the clock and how he just is waiting for something to come. And then he stops reading it. Um, but he also is upset as he's reading. But it ends with it was nearly one o'clock in the morning when he heard the sound he'd been expecting exactly what he'd been expecting. And then he slams his book shut even though there's more written there that they can all see um he doesn't finish reading it so it made me feel creepy yeah it was like hearing it unsettled right such a tease so Tierney invites libby to her house to see her collection and libby is very intrigued to see where Tierney, this pink-haired you know girl lives and they live in this very large like pretty suburban home and um, Libby keeps talking about how her family is like super gorgeous. Just wait till you see them. And the family actually is very good looking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Libby is like, yeah, I mean, uh, that's just my, my older sister. Who's actually the prettiest is at college right now, but she's, you know, drop dead gorgeous, whatever. Um, in Tierney's room, it is crowded with her collection. Um, all kinds of VHS and just, Ooh. Uh, like I wrote Dion quintuplet dolls, which I looked up. They were real yes. quintuplets, the Dion's uh, family, I guess. And they were the first known surviving like quintuplets. And they were very, very famous. And you can look up these dolls like That's they're for bizarre. sale. Mm-hmm. I want Wait, them. and they're from the 30s? I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What a weird yeah. Yeah. This whole chapter, I just was writing like friends. They're friends. They're yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah. Like so they're excited. bonding over this collection. And Libby's like, God, this must cost a lot. Like, 
I don't, how did you get all this stuff? And Libby's like, well, you know, my family, they had two beautiful daughters and they wanted to try one more time and get a boy. But instead they got me. I'm this gigantic clunky girl, just like my father. And so my family works very hard to pretend they're not sorry that I was born instead of like a beautiful son or another beautiful daughter or something, which I feel you. But anyway, so Libby comes up with a great idea to invite both uh, Tierney and Wendy at the same time to her home. No, but this idea was terrible because she comes up with the idea and then she's completely stressed out that they will both accept. And I'm like, so why would you invite them on the same day? I guess she thinks that they hate each other so much that just one will come. And uh, that does not happen. They both agree to come. And um, they are just bickering the whole time and they agree to a truce after Libby yells at them for being childish all the time. And then she shows them her treehouse. I don't believe she showed Alex the treehouse when he was there, but she does show it to them. And they're just so impressed by her home, you know. So uh, Tierney and Wendy are kind of starting to become friends. Like they're greeting each other in the hall and at lunch and stuff. It's very weird. And uh, Gigi himself has stopped imitating Libby in class. Like he used to do this thing where he would slide into the chair in like their math class and like pick up his book and slink down and like look up from it. And hide behind it, you know, kind of like do these weird motions because I guess she did. Um, So he would just like imitate her. But on this day, when they go to meet at their workshop, um, Mizzo is not at school. In fact, Gary Green even had stopped Libby in the hall and said, I bet we won't have workshop today because Mizzo is not here. Um, They go anyway and they sit in the class and there's no one to lead the FFW. But Mr. Shoemaker shows up and says Mizzo was in a bad car wreck. And that the future famous writers group is suspended. They have to go back to their creative choice assignments. And this is when Alex, like they they ask if they can still meet. And he's like, no, you can't. You can't still meet here in school. You have to go back to your assignments. And this is when Alex says, what gives them a right to say we can't go on meeting? I mean, isn't it in the Constitution or something? (laughs) Um, And that's when Wendy is like, hey, you know, we don't have to meet at school. Um, We can just start meeting at Libby's house. Yeah, she just volunteers Libby's house. Of all uh-huh. of all the places mm-hmm. where they could meet, they will just meet at Libby's house. <laughs> yes. And then uh, Tierney's like, hey, can we just meet in your treehouse? So now she has to share her treehouse with these people. and Boundaries. I yeah. think that sounds cool as hell, personally. Yeah, but Libby does eventually agree, <clears throat> even though it's like her private place. So I think they all ride the bus there, and Gigi isn't there on the bus with them. So they're like, oh, good, maybe he won't come. But then he shows up on his bicycle, and he bumps into Alex with his bike, and Tierney and Gigi almost have a fight. Um But anyway, at that meeting, there's not much writing done. They elect a chairperson and they agree to go visit Mizzo in a hospital and give her a get well card. So which I think is very sweet. Yes. Um, Then they mentioned something about her weird insurance because she has moved from like the Morrison Community (laughs) Hospital to a hospital in San Francisco. (laughs) I was like, what a strange thing to put into this book. I mean, as an adult. As an adult reading it, I'm like, oh, yeah, fuck the medical system. But as a kid, you would be like, what? Like, all, all she'd have to say is Mizzo was in a hospital in San Francisco. Yes. Like, no explanation needed. Yeah. Yeah. So the kids have to go to San Francisco to visit her, and Gigi can't go. Um, so they go to visit her, and Mizzo's very excited to see them. And 
is showing them her laptop that her dad bought her or brought her. I don't know. But that's how she is working on her novel while she is uh, a recovering. A laptop that probably weighed 40 pounds. I mean, yeah, well, t- to be clear, they don't refer to it as a laptop. They call it a new lap-sized computer. <laughs> okay, okay. You're right. You're right. Sorry. <laughs> so I was like, I like wrote, whoa, next to it. And I'm thinking, okay, let's say uh, Zilpha was writing this book in like 88. Like what size was a lap-sized computer? Like, can you Google 1988 laptops? <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be. Lap-sized computer. I am thinking... Even like 10 years later, right? Like on Friends, like in 1996 yeah. when Chandler's like yeah. got his laptop out. That thing is huge. Oh, yeah. And like crazily shaped and probably weighed like 10 pounds. Um, and she had already started putting the novel on disc. <laughs> yeah, that'll it's take true. a while. She does. Um, I'm getting some things that look like glorified word processors that are big and clunky. Yeah. I'm not sure what kind of computers these are, but. They're just <laughs> yeah. That that's probably what it is, and that cost a thousand dollars. The same price also, as our oh damn Oh my laptop. gosh, Ms. O's father must have some money because a lap-sized computer in nineteen eighty in nineteen ninety. Yeah, a thousand dollars, and wow. it probably like what do you think the processing is on Look that? Look at that beauty. I oh. mean, it probably has like. I want to see the pictures. Show we Crystal need, the make- Toshiba. It probably has like a 50K hard drive or something. Whoa. I like the red text on there, yeah. though. I'm afraid that, I mean, Mizzou is pretty banged up. Like, that looks pretty heavy. I know. That's what lap. I was thinking. Um, no, it's not color. It wouldn't be. Oh, someone's playing Wolfenstein on this one. Tight. Yeah, anyway. So anyway, uh, while they're there, um, Mizzo asks the FFW to make sure that Gigi does not quit the writers group. And she says he yeah. needs the workshop. I think Gigi really needs all of us. And so she just kind of talks about how all the kids are changing. Like Tierney, I wrote plans on being a normie. Her hair is now purple. <laughs> so when she goes to brown, it won't be too much of a shock to people. Uh-huh, so, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Wendy is also changing. And one time Tierney and uh, Libby are talking and they realize, well, maybe she's not a phony. Maybe she really just is nice. Like, yeah, maybe just a, ni- just a nice person. Yeah. And also they talk about maybe how her perspective is so different because um, I never really think Wendy was a phony or bubble-headed either. It seemed to me that it was more of a kind of ignorance about different kinds of ideas and other kinds of people, too. Like in her stories when she wrote very well, but only about boring subjects. It was like she always had it so easy, being born extraordinary talented, extraordinarily talented and beautiful in a rather ordinary family. She just never realized there were people with real problems. And when you come right down to it, people without any real problems are pretty uninteresting to write about. But yeah, I like that perspective that she is giving like, oh, yeah, maybe that's why like people come at things differently. Like they've never had problems. You know what I mean? Right. And so for them, yeah. it's easy to like look aside or maybe always stay positive because they've never encountered any kind they of. haven't experienced it. Yeah. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. So Alex comes by to visit. I guess this is just a loner visit and Libby shows him the treehouse. For the first time. And I think, have they not officially started meeting there yet? Maybe they haven't. Maybe they haven't actually started Wait, meeting. What, what, uh, um, I'm not what sure. What chapter? Okay. On Monday, Alex came to McCall house again to visit Jillian and Cordelia. At least that's what he said. 
Oh, he asked to look at the treehouse again. Ah, yes. Okay. And he says it's because it's an absolutely unreal place. Um, and he said, I just want to see it again when all those other people aren't around, you know, muscle bound types like Tyranny and Gigi. I wanted to see if I can climb up to the other rooms. So he wants to be able to explore um, and try to see if he can see all these other things, despite like maybe his limitations physically without being made fun of or exposing that vulnerability to people who have kind of bullying personalities. So which um, I also love just I love the comfort and the safety, the feeling of safety between Alex and Libby. Yeah. You know, and they, just they, that they have that that kind of friendship, probably because they just know what it's like to have a hard, hard times. You know, people yeah. make fun of them and be cruel. Um, and they talk about Gigi and um, they talk about how disappointed they were that he showed up. And how she didn't even want to show him the treehouse, but it was too late. You know, she, she kind of had to introduce him. But he says, I'm not so sure anymore just what kind of guy old Gigi is. I mean, just when he's been doing his public enemy number one bit, it's like he loses his grip and suddenly there's this almost human person. I mean, this person looking at you like, help, let me out of here. And that's because um, Libby is just kind of amazed at Alex because he has put something into words that she has not been able to express, but has thought herself. Yeah. Um, but he says, Gigi is pretty mysterious. All right. Like the mystery is how did anyone get to be so mean in just 13 years? So the group has another meeting of the future, uh, famous writers club and everyone rides the bus again, except Gigi. He says before they leave school that he will meet them later. There's something he has to do. So they haven't even started their workshop yet. They're just hanging out with Elliot when the phone rings and Libby goes to answer it, and it's Gigi. And she, when she answers it, um, there's someone who's kind of speaking softly, like whispering something. Mm-hmm. And it's Gigi, and he says, I just wanted to tell you I won't be there. I can't get away. I mean, I... And then she hears the sound of yelling on the other end, and like a deep voice yelling at him, and Gigi is yelling no, don't. I wasn't calling them. I wasn't. No, don't, please. And then there's just all these thuds and crashes and the line goes dead. And so Libby is not sure what to do, um, wants to tell Elliot, but Elliot has just left to go back to the bookstore, of course. So it's just these kids on their own and they decide to go check on Gigi and they take a bus to an old neighborhood. And Alex used to be friends with Gigi and gives kind of a backstory on him, um, how Gigi's dad was Tony Green, who used to be a famous football player. And the house is just kind of in this old neighborhood, kind of shabby, kind of unkept. Right. You know? And they. And it, it is, you know, I was tr I was putting myself in in the FFW's like shoes in this because I was trying, you know, as an adult, I think reading this even way back, like when Gigi was reading the Eric story or even before that, I think we're already getting the, as an adult, you can get the under underlying, you know, issues that are going on with Gigi and his home life. And obviously Mizzo, the teacher <laughs> got that. Um, but yeah, I was just trying to think about these kids and, you know, this kind of phone call happens and they're just like, yeah, we need to Need to go into the go and find yeah. out. Well, I think they're kind of hesitant at first, but then she's like, I don't, you know, we need to do this. Like, yeah, we need to go and find out what happened. Um, so when they tried the bell, there's no answer. So they go inside and that's when they find 
Tony and he's seated at the kitchen table. I think his head is down though, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he's got his head down on the table and Wendy tries to talk to him and Tierney's like, stop it, Wendy. He is drunk and passed out. Like, can't you smell that? Can't you smell the booze? And yeah, um, everyone's like, oh, okay. They probably didn't know what that smell was. <laughs> you know, they're kids. Um, yeah. They go to Gigi's room because Alex knows where it's at. And they see Gigi is slumped against the wall and there's blood on his face and he doesn't answer when they are calling his name. So we skip ahead just a little bit in time. Um, Libby is just having a hard time concentrating, has some kind of like trauma, keeps repeating Gigi's voice in her head and is triggered by like various things. So we find out that what happened was the kids call an ambulance and Gigi is currently at a hospital and he's conscious and out of danger and Libby is trying to write about it to sort out her feelings um, because that's how she makes sense of things, right, is, is by writing, writing it out. And but it's, I mean, even that, she, she says, like, when she tries to write about what happened that day, she gets a tight, nervous feeling. Her mm-hmm. brain starts spinning around. Yeah. Like, it sounds like a little bit of PTSD. Yeah, yeah. That she's going through. Yeah. And she asks her dad about it. And he says, it's very important to be able to write clearly and vividly about emotions. But there are times that feelings are too violent or too close to us to put into words. When that's the case, one just has to wait. So uh, Libby is finally able to write about it and sort through her feelings. And that's when she talks about um, how it began with Judy's the phone call. And they all went there and she talked about how he looked dead and she felt frozen and nothing was working in her head. And so she just kind of writes this whole thing. They even put a blanket over his head. Wait. Oh, she put a blanket over Gigi and Wendy helped me. I didn't know whether to put the blanket over his head. Like, I think she thought he was dead. Yeah. 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 And yeah, she she said she didn't want to look at him anymore and see his swollen face and the blood coming down out of his hair and across his forehead. I mean, can you imagine at 11 encountering that? Yeah. Like, and, you know, I mean, Libby's been pretty sheltered mm-hmm. in her big mansion. Yeah. And just like encountering that, imagine just the trauma yeah. that would create. But then there's like this childish idea, too, that she says, I'm glad we didn't cover up his face because he was alive after all. And somehow it seems that if we'd covered up his head, it would have all been over and he would have been dead. Like, that does seem like yeah. a, a weird, like, mm. childish thing thought to have but probably something that adults have too right this nonsensical thing like this can't be happening it's not real and but if we do this thing then he might actually really die or be dead because of you know this this thing um anyway so she writes all about it and we find out that um tony green his father is at a they call it a sanatorium but it's like a rehab facility (laughs) i don't know Mm -hmm. why they call it a sanatorium but Libby keeps getting interrupted while she's trying to write because guess what? She has friends now. So she goes like shopping. And um, anyway, uh, whenever she comes back home from hanging out with her friends, she writes her mom a letter and explains that she blamed her for making her go to Morrison Middle School, but concludes that she is not going to stop because some people at school she likes and others she is curious about. So, And then she signs it, your socialized daughter. <laughs> And and socialized is all in caps. Yeah. So the the FFW is still meeting, even without Gigi, because he is staying with relatives while his dad is in treatment. 
and the FFW and the McCall family are growing very close and the vibes of the meetings are very different without Gigi. Like it's much more relaxed and talkative. Like the kids are just vibing. It's not as much like negative energy, I guess. It it actually Mm -hmm. is more constructive. And And I mean, they're just hanging out talking about stuff like Franklin Delano Roosevelt, because (laughs) that's what, that's what middle school kids do in 1990. Love FDR so much. <laughs> Let's talk about it. L O L. 30s babies. <laughs> 30s babies will get this. this. Yeah. Uh, so, well, they're meeting to Treehouse. They're discussing their island adventure project and they hear someone coming up the stairs and Gigi suddenly appears. And he's like, I'm back, bitches. <laughs> okay, he doesn't say that, but. Yeah, um, he tells them that his dad hasn't had a drink in six weeks, so he he got um, he was able to come back home and stay with him. And he says that what happened was his dad got upset when he saw him use the phone after he told him not to, and was afraid that Gary was calling the police or his mom or something and knocked him down. Um, and everyone's a little disappointed that Gigi's back. And whenever he leaves, I think they even discuss getting rid of him. And- yeah, the, the whole. <laughs> it's very weird the very ending yeah i'm like what (laughs) i don't it is weird like uh, the ending is kind of not good in my opinion (laughs) like everyone seems to have changed so much but they're still not accepting of this troubled kid yeah yeah and i i yeah i felt really un unhappy (laughs) with this ending page like it was trying to wrap it up too fast um but basically ends with they take a vote and they all agree that it's unanimous that they'll let him stay. And they, he, Alex is reporting this and he says, don't ask me why, but it is. Looks like our next collaboration is going to be the return of Gigi. Do you think we can write it? And Libby thought maybe they could. So I guess it's them trying to give it a chance, right? And to see where it leads. And I just feel like it's so kind of rushed. And, and the fact that they're so reluctant to yeah. accept him especially when they saw what environment he lived in and why he was so mean like that mystery was totally solved you know like he was right. in an abusive home hurt people hurt people you know <laughs> yeah um and yet they're still like and he probably has no friends you know this brighton group is probably pretty much it and right and that's why he even he's Gigi, mm-hmm. right he he spent the whole book pretending like he doesn't want to be a part of FFW and it's stupid and and screw all y'all. But like they are his friends mm-hmm. and they are where he feels safe and he came back to them. Yes. And then. Yeah. And then they're all just kind of like, he's going to ruin our vibe, which I, I get it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone in this group has something to contribute, which I think is what the point of it is. And everyone is has uh, a very unique and different voice that has helped all these people change and evolve. And I don't understand this. I guess, I guess it's just, they're just afraid it will, he will start bullying them again. But remember, you know, Mizzo even said, don't let him leave the group. Yeah. I, you know, his dad could relapse. Like, we don't know. Like, so. And they respect Mizzo. Yes. So. So they they let him stay. I think for me, the the way it ended was so weird that it ended on this because I mean I think ultimate like FFW is part of the story but I felt ultimately like it was supposed to be Libby's story yes and there was actually a part a little bit before that 
that's just beautiful. Can I read Mm -hmm. a couple paragraphs that I feel like I wish this was how the story ended. Like I wish they had the scene where Gigi came back and, you know, they dealt with that however they wanted to. Um, But then I wish they kind of went back to the fact that this is all about Libby's growth Mm -hmm. Yeah, over, over the, the course of the book and her socialization as she likes to call it and everything. Um, because shortly before Gigi actually comes back when she's still trying to process the trauma and when she hasn't been able to write about him yet, um, she has this moment, um, where she looks out over her yard and her home. And this is what, this is what she sees. It was a bright, clear spring morning. Looking out toward the river, she could see Christopher coming and going with the lawnmower and Cordelia in her gardening dress and floppy sun hat, cutting irises and and lilies. It was a familiar scene. The moving, sparkling river, the bright colors of flowers, and the widening, velvety swath of mowed lawn. She had seen it many times before, all of it. The lawn and flowers and Christopher and Cordelia doing exactly the same kinds of things. But suddenly she was seeing it in a different way. And here's where this is what I wish it ended on, because I feel like this this paragraph just encapsulates like the growth that Libby has had and her like understanding and appreciation for her family and the life that she gets to live and, you know, how that kind of influences who she gets to be out in the world with other people as she's making new friends. So after she sees this moment, she says, it was was a mysterious feeling, deep and strong and comforting, a kind of steady, solid knowing that it was all there around her and inside of her, and that all of it the family and the house and the treehouse and everything she had ever learned or read or done would always be there inside her, no matter what else happened. And I felt like that like encapsulated the, what the whole point of this story was. The whole point of her going out and socializing in the world and growing and yeah. Yeah. I guess I just felt like that was Yeah. <laughs> that I felt like it should have been the ending. Yeah, the end was weird, I thought. And not what I expected it to be. I, I it 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 kind of threw me off, and I think that's why I gave this like a lower rating. Um, I felt like yeah. there was no real closure for me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're right. She should just cut those paragraphs and move them to the end. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. It was just. I yeah. It because I felt like I was I was liking the trajectory of things, and yeah, I just got to that last basically the last page and i was like what just happened yeah i feel like the ffw becomes i don't know too much of a focus i guess and it's not as much about libby's growth as it should be right but maybe i'm just being picky it's a kid's book so (laughs) but as we know kids books are important it's it's important and it's a kid's book but there's some stuff in here that's just written so beautifully yeah i do think it's so like I do think like I think that Snyder is a great writer. Like I think yeah. that she really is. Like this is a beautifully written book. Some parts are really beautiful like you put it. And it's very vivid and you can see the characters and it's it's a very you well done. See, you're in the treehouse. You're in the McCall house. Like you're in the pioneer room. 
Just yeah, for a minute you might care about the 30s, but then you're like, ah, no. <laughs> F those quintuplets. Um, can we, for a minute, like, I need to do Fit Watch. Um, so if Katie, you know, Katie, if you're listening, if you'd like uh, to draw any of these fits. <laughs> feel free to draw any characters. We got, we got Fit a fashion watch, warning. Fit Watch 1990, Zilpha. Um, there was um, so a fabulous, some fabulous fits um, at one point when Libby uh, is going to talk to Wendy and Wendy has some of her friends there, and it says, Wendy's friends were wearing baggy, acid-washed jeans and Reeboks and huge men's jackets and other stylish things. Yeah, these fits sound cool. Like, what are these, the other stylish things? They also know. have the right kinds of hairdos. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, the other fit watch, at one point, uh, Libby and Tierney went to the mall or like some kind of shopping area. And uh, she said there was a gap outlet that had some new baggy looking denim jackets. <laughs> nice. I mean, oversized was big then. And guess what, yeah. kids? It's big it's now. Got to have. I'm glad it's oversized with um, low slung, like the, the low ride pants that, that yeah. the zoomers like now, because oh, yeah. when I was, when I was, in the early aughts, guess what? I could never find jeans that fit me because they were all those low slung Britney Spears tiny. Oh yeah, I hated them. Hated like the them. Zippers like zippers like big, like, like a centimeter yeah. long. It was they. It was just the worst time for fashion. Please don't romanticize it, guys. I grew up yeah, in it. It was horrid. Don't. Uh, I mean, bring back grunge all you want. Yeah. You know, I love Visco girls. I love your big T-shirts. <laughs> you know, I think that's cute, but. I don't want to ever see another, and I hate this term, but whale tail, which Ooh. kind of came out of that era, right? Whenever yeah. you would wear the thong. Oh, I never did this, but. No thongs. Like, yeah. Thongs also thongs. To- I disagree. Bring back the whale tail. They're, they're not. No. Playing. No. This emoji. I emoji saw that some. is oh. hand crossing. I have seen jeans with cutouts that make it look like a whale tail. What? I'll send you. No. That's insane. Yeah. They're, they're like, they're like, um. They have cutouts in the front, kind of, and then like there's just normal buttons, and in the back they have the same kind of cutouts, so it no. looks like a whale tail, kind of. It's got that weird. shape, you know, it looks like a thong string is coming up, but it's your, it's let's, just your actual jeans. Let's not do that. <laughs> or as as Zilpha refers to um, jeans in this book, at one point she says the denims. <laughs> which I'm like, was there ever? Was that a? Was that a thing in 1990? Did people walk by the gap and say, look at the denims in the window? Maybe if you were like, 63. <laughs> Maybe that's because she was born when when Lee or when Levi dungarees were new. Right. 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 It's true. <laughs> so. Other stylish things, whatever those are. But yeah. Yeah. Katie. We're, we're looking toward you. Baggy acid wash jeans, <laughs> Reeboks and huge men's jackets. <sighs> Actually, and that sounds like a things. good fit. It does I, sound like a good fit, right? Yeah, just get yourself Sounds some, some denim and, and cool. Wear like a, I think maybe like a cute crop top or a bodysuit with the big uh, laser over it. Yeah, mm-hmm. very cute, very cute look. All right, so, so you, thank you for the fit watch. Yeah, I thought about writing down fits, and then I was like, it's so hard to take notes. <laughs> so I, you didn't. always gotta look for the fits. Yeah. There was also one little scene that I think is just so. Um, it's just nostalgic 
nostalgia for when the way you make friends when you're young. Um, it's like Tierney and Wendy and Libby all got on the bus, which what are these kids like? Were they taking like the public bus? Well, that's my guess. Is they were on the public yeah. bus. Yeah. Um, but it says, uh, oh, it says just then the bus went past them and they all ran the rest of the way to the bus stop and scrambled on and went bumping and giggling down the aisle and squeezed into a back seat together. All three of them. And I wrote, and just like that, friends, like, <laughs> I don't know, in middle school, it's like, all you had to do was find a reason to laugh together. And there you go. Yeah, you're all, you're all in hell together. So if you can find those people that make you laugh. Mm-hmm. I remember in like, you know, this person, like my, my junior high bestie in high school was Beth. Uh, mm-hmm. And I remember we had study hall together and we bonded by looking at issues of 17 and making fun of them. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Like, or uh, maybe not 17, maybe it was like a teen, because we all decided that 17 and, and YM were the cool magazines, but teen was not cool. Oh, I wonder and, what uh, the distinction was. 17 and YM just had better writing and fashions, okay. but teen seemed more pure and wholesome, whereas, you know, and obviously yeah. sassy is the best, but I think by that point, sassy was already gone. Is like, teen gone right. now? I don't I think almost all of those are gone. There's Teen Vogue and Seventeen's I, they're, still around. They're almost Wait, all online. Wait, does Seventeen not exist? Anymore? I don't know. I haven't I think looked. It does. I haven't looked. I don't know. It might. It might have even gone to bi-monthly or something. You know, a lot yeah. of magazines have like Bust went to quarterly and they used to be bi-monthly. Yeah, yeah. quarterly and it's like eight, eight or nine dollars. Seven ninety nine an issue. Yeah, all yeah. magazines are so expensive. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I do love, I love magazines, and so I get sad that they're so expensive. But anyway. I do, too. We're a magazine <laughs> I love, household. and I love the, I don't want to read a magazine online. I, just, I don't either. I want, I want the magazine. But the physical media is so expensive now. Um, so. So did you rate the book? Um, well, if you want to know, on Goodreads, it has a 3.87 out of 319 reviews. Hmm. So Not I bad. think I gave it. Let me see what I actually gave it. Three stars is what I gave it. Wow. I guess that ending really took me out of it. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that just ruined all the vibes. Um, Three stars is what I gave it. So I'm going to give it 3.5 hooves. I'll I'll bump it up a little bit. Because Goodreads doesn't let you do half stars. And I think it deserves more than three. Because there are some very beautifully written passages. And I, I did like more of this book than I disliked. So, yeah. And the treehouse. And the the treehouse gets five five hooves on it. Four tree hooves and a unicorn horn. Like hooves. it's yeah. it's magic. Treehouse of our dreams. Yes. Treehouse of our dreams. This is where we're gonna have our Judy Bloom two thousand six workshop. Yes. Treehouse we'll, of our dreams. We'll find a cool Airbnb that's in a cool treehouse. Where our new podcasting studio is gonna be <laughs> in a tree. Yes. Uh, subscribe on Patreon. Yeah. Please. Help us build this treehouse. <laughs> Please. Crystal, do you have a rating? Uh, yeah, it's funny. When I was updating my Goodreads, I, you know, because it's like I finished it and read that last page that I hated <laughs> and then updated my Goodreads. And I was like, I just can't rate it because why did it have to end like that? So I think if it had not ended that way, I would have I would give it this 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 horse would be on all hooves <laughs> like. It would be frolicking in a field. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're going to keep this ending, then, yeah, I don't know. I think it has a sprained sprained ankle, Okay, maybe. 
So maybe like 3.75 hooves. It's like it's not well, completely yeah. not taken too, out, but yeah, yeah, getting a little too complex. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it does make me a little sad that that we that I can't just go in, you know, all hoof. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All hooves. Yeah, I understand. So, yeah. um, well, wrapping up next time we'll be reading another weird strange book in the zodiac club series because we're entering virgo season and we're going to be reading virgo's love scheme um by marge margie palatini um so very excited about that we're gonna actually have a real live virgo on here so we can ask them like are you horny we can ask all the virgo questions (laughs) what virgo uh, Katie, aka the haunted outfit. Okay. <laughs> oh, yay! Oh my gosh! Sometime we're gonna have to have an Earth sign, like all these Earth signs together on one oh. podcast. It's gonna be so grounded. Don't threaten me with a good, reliable time. <laughs> and we have, we might have oh, a Scorpio book coming up, and that's my birthday. Well, we have SAG coming up. Oh, right. It's just a SAG book, mm-hmm. not the Scorpio. And we have a Capricorn crystal, and I'm going to ask you to come on that. Because Josh is a Capricorn. You're a Capricorn. I need, I need my Cap fan. Yes. Yeah. So uh, um, I'm have an alert set on Thrift Books. I'm trying to find another copy to get to you because I do have one. So right. if not, we'll just have to mail it, get it around somehow. But, yeah. Just, um, just pass that book around. Yep. Yep. That's what we'll do. So... Anyway, thank you so much for coming on today. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to be here for discussing. And so uh, glad to talk about Zilpha yeah, and Libby. It was fun, and uh, I guess you know. Go to our go to Patreon.com/slash/OxAudio mm-hmm. for our bonus episodes. We do movies. Mm-hmm. We just recorded it's "Bring It On" last stuff. night. Yeah, yeah, about to put up "Bring It On," the yeah. classic cheerleading movie. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, do that. Follow us on Patreon for these these lovely, lovely people and all the amazing content they're creating. Thanks. And um, follow us. You can follow us at Are You There Pod on Instagram or on Twitter at Jimmy Goosebumps. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Real ones, no. Real ones, no. Um, So I think that's all I've got. So. Okay. Do you want me to close it out or do you want to close it out, Crystal? Whatever you want to do. See you later. How to, uh, so well, I have to practice it. Here, how, how about I say the first part and then you say... Just say it in unison. See you later, horse girl. So I'll say until next time and you say okay. see you later, horse girl. Okay? Okay. Like edit all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Later. Okay. <laughs> so until next time, see you later, horse girls. Audio.